self of um, <laughs> sleep training my own kids, but mm-hmm. quite good at sleep training other kids. That's and good. I, I'm the same, baby. Like hmm. my only one parenting strategy, which is put my tit in my yes. kid's mouth. The yeah. best Period. strategy ever. Just tit. it's so effective. Yes. Why wouldn't yes. you? Moms I- that say tit. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Moms that say fuck. Hosted by yours truly, Alana Kapitz and Dr. Dina Kulik. I'm Alana, the CEO and founder of Moms Toronto. We're on a mission to bring moms together and give them a great day, revolutionizing maternity leave. And I'm Dr. Dina Kulik. I'm a pediatrician and pediatric emergency medicine doctor. I provide no-nonsense child health advice, dispelling myths, and empowering parents to parent confidently and raise your healthiest kids. Together, we have six kids under eight. We are eager to chat with other moms, entrepreneurs, and interesting people about everything from sex to alcohol, sleep woes, and body shaming. We aren't afraid to talk about taboo topics or share our many opinions. We say it like it is and want to get to the heart of the issues facing moms and caregivers everywhere. Come join us. Hello, hello, our mommy friends and daddy friends and our friends from every walk of life. Welcome to episode two of Dr. Dina Kulik and Elena Kafitz. Tonight, we are featuring our very good friend, Amanda Jusen from Baby's Best Sleep, and we are going to talk about all things sleep tonight. So let's get into it. Amanda. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Welcome. We're super pumped to have you here. I'm excited to be here. I love talking about sleep. For real. We love sleep. (laughs) I like sleep and I don't like not sleeping. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure that's, you know, that's everyone. Yeah. yeah. Amanda, yeah. tell us about yourself. Tell us about Amanda Jusen and how we started this company. Tell us about Baby's Best Sleep. Okay. Well, I was a teacher for a really long time um, and I really love my job and I was on my second mat leave and I had sort of been the person among my friends who just had good sleeping kids and people would ask me things and just naturally. I, yeah. Oh, well, I hate not, people like you. <laughs> it's not, I have to say like it wasn't exactly naturally. I was sleep obsessed. I read everything before right, my kids right. showed up. So people have their things, like people have breastfeeding or whatever. Mine was sleep. I read it all. So when my kids came out, I did all of those annoying habits that people tell you to do in the newborn stage, but I literally did it at day one. Like and what? It, what are these annoying things that we need to know right away? They like putting your baby down awake as right. often as you can. Right. And not just, feeding to sleep, that kind of stuff. Not, I mean, that's going to happen in the newborn stage, but just actively trying to make a point of putting them down awake, making sure they're not overtired, and understanding that we want to remove the help from the sleep as early as possible. In the newborn stage, I'm sure Alana, you can attest to this. Preach, girl, I'm listening. <laughs> it's a shit show. It's a shit show. So you just need to. A, focus on your own self-care, but also like do the steps. But sometimes, depending on your newborn, it's not easy. So it's it was easy for me with both of my girls. Um, and uh, people asked me lots of things. And then by the time I had my second kid... Um, I noticed that I would go to these mommy play groups and like the friends that I was meeting there weren't showing up because they weren't sleeping. And when right. they did show up, they were shelves of themselves. And I started to really focus in on this because I was loving my mat leave because I was sleeping and I knew that was a big thing. I also had a bit of postpartum anxiety after my second child. And for those first few months where you're not sleeping, no matter who you are, right. um, 
I noticed a huge significant change when I was actually sleeping six to eight hours again oh my in God, my own yeah. anxiety. Yeah, your whole world is different if you're sleeping properly. I just feel like this is missing from that postpartum talk. I mean, we're starting mm. to make connections now, but postpartum depression and anxiety, we talk about that all the time, but I fear we're not ready to talk about why that's happening. And a big, easy factor or contributor could be sleep. Totally. You feel like shit if you get, don't get sleep. Absolutely. Totally. We yeah. don't function. But people expect to not sleep. And mm. I think a lot of people feel guilty wanting to sleep. 100%. Like if you're a good enough mom, you'll feel night long, you'll co-sleep, you'll tend to your child's every like, ooh, coo, cry, yes. everything. They roll over, you run to them. Yeah. And there's not a lot of pausing and like waiting for the kid to maybe le, soothe themselves. The pause. Yeah, the pause, the pause. <laughs> that being said, my husband's sitting across from me. I am the worst at this. Like early on, my kids do anything. They sigh, they roll over, whatever. They, uh, uh, and I like run and throw my boob in their mouth. Mm-hmm. And, and I still do it. Like when my kid's sick, like I have the monitor right next to me right now because he's had fever the last couple of days because this is him. He always has fever. And I still will go to him, give him Advil or Tylenol. And still off the breast. Like, I don't need to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I feel like that makes him feel better. And I feel bad walking away from him after giving Advil, knowing for the next 15 or 20 minutes he's going to have fever when I could give him something that's going to soothe him. So mm-hmm. I'm actually the worst at this. I'm mm-hmm. the worst at self, of um, <laughs> sleep training my own kids, but mm-hmm. quite good at sleep training other kids. That's and good. I, I'm the same, baby. Like, hmm. my only one parenting strategy, which is put my tit in my yes. kid's mouth. The yeah. best Period. strategy ever. Just tit. It's so effective. Yes. Why yes. wouldn't you? Moms I- that say tit. <laughs> <laughs> Though it's totally training them the wrong way. Like, you're sad, here's the boob. You're angry, here's the boob. You have a fever, you're teething, whatever, here's the boob. Um, And that's not so great for sleep training. Yeah. Yeah. It can be, I mean, I do think, I really do think that there are some children where you can do that and they're like, yeah, I'm cool and I can sleep on my own. I think that they exist. I mean, we hear it enough, like we go to play group and Sally is like, I breastfed my kids until they were four. And then one day they said, I didn't want to sleep with you. And they slept into their room and everyone, it was amazing. I, I don't think those women are lying. I just think it is uncommon. But when we hear those stories enough, we feel like shit. If Mm. we're not like our breastfeeding does not look like that or our co-sleeping isn't beautiful. It's actually horrific because no one is sleeping and I haven't touched my husband in three years. Yes, I mean, those are, those are things that we should pay attention to and sleep deprivation is not a badge of honor. It is um, a brain impairment. Yes. Yeah. It is a we don't want to be martyrs and, and no. only cater to our children. So we spoke with this last week or like on our last podcast um, uh, about how I feel like a lot of parents, a lot of moms in particular, give everything to their babies, um, including the breast all night long and co-sleeping and attending to every little itsy bitsy need, which may not even really be a need, um, at an expense of their partner. So, you know, husbands and partners are being kicked out of the family bed or rather it becomes a family bed. Mm-hmm. Husband or partner leaves the bed, sleeps on the couch or the guest bedroom or, or in this kid's room where the kid is no longer sleeping or wasn't ever sleeping. Um, and marriages, um, suffer, right. Mm-hmm. And, and the partner often feels excluded and not part of the experience. And, um, and yeah, and baby becomes the partner in a way. And uh, I think it, it's, you know, it's harmful for marriages. And I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of people are not happy in their marriages. And maybe part of the reason why divorce rate is so high and people are not as connected and they're not having sex anymore, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. I do feel strongly that that sleep training is good for everybody, including mm-hmm. the partnership and the mom and the baby. Mm-hmm. So Juicin, when, when are, Amanda, Juicin, mm-hmm. baby's best sleep. <laughs> Check it out. Hashtag baby's best sleep. <laughs> Tell us when, when is somebody calling you? Um, 
there's a there's like three types of calls. Um, I would say it's I just talked about this with you. Like I get a lot of newborn moms and their first time moms, and they're like, "What the hell is this?" You know, where they're people can warn you about the sleep deprivation and then it happens and then you think, okay, I'm just going to call this person and it'll stop. But there's not a lot that we can really do in the newborn stage. There, There is a lot that we can do and sometimes it works. So I'm very honest with my newborn clients about that. So people call me all the time when they're floundering. Um, I would say... Uh, if you, I get a lot of calls at four months and eight months. There are two significant developmental milestones, otherwise known as sleep regressions at that time. Um, and it's just parents have had it. Like I think they, they start, they, well, I think there's a group of moms who value that mom that they were before and miss that sleep and that brain and that those normal feelings. And then there's another mom who knows that she's not coping, but feels really horrible about calling me at the same time. Like guilty, so, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's because a they lot should be guilt. able to manage it themselves or this is just how it is and they should just suck it up. Well, yeah, there's so many, I mean, even in my line of work, and I've, I've read every single study. I know that what I do is safe. As soon as someone says, you're doing something wrong, it's a stab in my heart. Right, so right. I can't imagine, and I, people say this to me all the time, um, if I, I can't imagine being a mom and then being at a play group or my mother-in-law telling me sleep training is horrible and then doing it anyway. Right. There's a lot of feelings that go along with that. So it it can be it can be shitty in that way. I think hearing your baby cry or be upset is the most terrible thing mm-hmm. for a mom to experience. The mm-hmm. most painful sound, the it's the worst. It's the mm-hmm. absolute worst. And then when people then tell you, you already feel bad about that. Then when some people tell you, especially like parents and things like that, or your partner, that what you're doing is wrong, it just accentuates how terrible you feel about doing what you already feel is terrible. Yeah. Even though if you know there's a means to an end for it. And it's yeah. not you know, most parents are not doing because they're selfish. They mm-hmm. realize that it's important for their kid to be getting good sleep also. Totally. But they also feel selfish because it, you know, I could just, I could do this for a few more months. I can get by a few more months. Not that that's helpful for the baby or them or the relationship, et cetera. But I actually think there's now, I mean, just, a couple of months ago, there was a study that was published that said children are fine if they're not sleeping through the night before the age of 12 months. But what we actually, I agree with that. The children I see and I meet, they're fine. They're happy. They're healthy. Well, they're fine eating. is like relative, like <laughs> fine. Like you can get by just like residents get by without sleeping every night. And totally. Emerge docs like myself get by. You're fine, but we're not good. And we're right. not the best versions of ourselves. Well, that's, it's mom who I'm worried about. Right. right. Like, I don't think that that, Uh, you know, part of doing this business and why I did it is like the secret feminist agenda to like emancipate women from, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to emancipate women from bedtime. We don't always have to do bedtime. Right. Okay. And then if we are not sleeping through the night and we are shells of ourselves, how are we our best moms? We're worried about being the best mom. I'm sorry. I am the worst mom. If I have not slept, I yell at my kids. I'm not a happy person. Yeah. We're not patient. We're not loving. We just want them to go to bed. And like, you're go sick the fuck all the to sleep. time. Like we're always thinking that. Go the fuck to sleep. That's my first like six months of my kids' lives, yeah. right? I mean, I love them and I love of being course. mom, whatever. But I tell people all the time, I really don't love the first three months, no. right? I don't think Andrew did either. It's not, uh, you know, they're like, you know, like delicious. Like Essa's here yeah. and you can hear her kind of fussing away. Mm-hmm. And she's amazing and delicious and, you know, we love these babies. But they're also... 
annoying and a pain in the ass in lots of ways too. Totally. Um, and really needy. And like, that's what it is. That's what a baby is. And then they get older, but they're hard. Yeah, I completely agree. I find like the day that I slept tra- trained my first son it was the happiest day of my adult life. <laughs> he was six months old, which I was like, they're like, you can start sleep, sleep training at, tw- at 13 pounds or 13 weeks. I mean, you can, we can get into mm-hmm, these, mm-hmm. you know, nitty gritty or six months old. I was like, okay, six months old is the time I'm going to do it. I now say four months, yeah. mm-hmm. which you'll know with Essa. Okay. <laughs> Two good. months. Essa, get ready. Yes. But with Elias, I'm telling you, it was like the best day of my life. Somebody, somebody paid a sleep consultant some dollars. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll never do this again, Juice, now that you're my pal. No. But somebody paid somebody and somebody sent me the paperwork saying no way this is what you have to do to do the sleep training so i like studied it like it was the bible like the mm. tanakh right. i was like <laughs> reading this reading this thing <laughs> and all i did on the truth she's sneezing <laughs> we studied it and my husband and i got completely drunk on the floor of my son's nursery being like it's okay elias shh gulp gulp make out we're like it's okay you Elias. Made out when you we sleep lie, train we on the floor together i drinking scotch handle okay. that. Oh my God. getting drunk and then we were like wow that was a really good night and we, when he slept when he like it took 45 minutes and he slept we we're like it was unbelievable he right. went to bed so when it hits it's you amazing. i mean parents if you're listening to this and you're like don't know if i should sleep just fucking sleep train just, just do, do it. it no one regrets it i yeah. never ever ever have a family come back and go Oh, you know, that that was a terrible experience. Well, yeah, it was a terrible experience. But everyone says, especially if they did it past six months yeah. or like past a year, I should have done that months ago. Right. Like the yes. build up is so intense and it and it really does feel terrible listening to your kid cry. But then it's over and you're like, I could have done that months ago. My thing is I think like we put our own value system on our children to be like, they're not capable of doing this. This is gonna be hard for them. Yeah. The truth is like the first time I slept Elias, my older son who's now two in a little bit in a pack and play. I was like, there's no way he's going to sleep in the, he slept in the mm-hmm. fucking pack and play. Mm-hmm. Right. My kid's a fucking good sleeper, man. Right. Like I feel like, like I'm kissing my yeah. muscles here. Like <laughs> I killed it when it came to sleep. You know, my kid loves sleep. He takes long naps on the weekends. Best yeah. sleeper at daycare. Mm-hmm. Woo woo. Totally. gold. Yeah. My, my kids are also amazing sleepers, yeah. but, but like I trained and trained and trained yeah. and trained again when they got a tooth and trained again when they got a fever and trained yeah. again when we traveled, but they will sleep amazing. Like my yeah. kids go down at seven, all of them, mm-hmm. eight, six and four and the baby. They go down to seven and on the weekend, if no one is waking them up to go to something, they literally will lie there till nine o'clock. Like they wake up at like seven and like read a book and like mm-hmm. the, the four-year-old will just suck his thumb in his crib still because mm-hmm. he still likes his crib. Good. Just sucks his thumb and like hangs out yeah. and waits for me. Like magic, total magic. The baby's I, a little bit more annoying, but. You guys have hit on so many things that I want to talk about. Yes, go. <laughs> okay, so uh, I think, yeah, one, for one Usually when you're hiring a consultant, like this is obviously a plug for my business, but when you hire a consultant, you are, you are not going to, first of all, people think sleep training is weeks and weeks and months of crying Yeah. or like people will call me and be like, okay, we have a vacation in a month. Will they be ready? And it's like, I hope so. Like this is, if you do it right, this is maybe three days of crying. Yeah, I agree. It's like two to three days. Max. And most of my clients, it's one bad night, maybe a not so great next night. And then we're living the life. Totally. And for me, that's worth it. And it's often like not hours and hours of crying. Like Mm -hmm. And a lot of kids do the whole 45 minute to an hour and a half thing mm-hmm. and then they're good and then they cry and then yeah. they're good and they cry but they're like crying for like little itty bitty and not to say that that 45 minutes is not terrible because it is it's, it's terrible it's horrible. and it feels like days and days mm-hmm. but then it's over like it's yeah. not you know this prolonged hours and hours of crying that being said when we went to sleep train my now amazing four-year-old sleeper he cried for three and a half hours the first night mm-hmm. straight 
he did not self-soothe. I was on the phone, like texting my, all my Mm -hmm. sleep training friends. Mm -hmm. And Andrew's like, no, you cannot go to him. You cannot go. And at three and a half hours, I was like, this is not working. Like he is not self-soothing at all. And so I aborted the mission. We tried three weeks later. He cried for like 45 minutes and Mm -hmm. all was right with the world. Um, All my kids or the big ones, the three big ones all found their thumbs Mm -hmm. on that first night where they finally got it. Much to our chagrin, the baby never found his thumb, oh. still doesn't like his thumb. My other kids love their thumbs. He does not. And he's just a totally different dude. He, you know, marches to his own drum. Can we talk about thumbs? Yeah. Talk about it. I love a I thumb. I love thumbs. Yeah. I love thumbs. I love sucking. them. Yeah. As soon, like, uh, sometimes I get uh, inquiries about how to stop some thumb, yeah, thumb sucking. I'm like, never. I would never do that to you. Yes. I will never take that away from you. I'm a big fan. It's the best ma- means to self-soothe, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I say to families that as long as your kid stops somewhere between four and six years is mm-hmm. what the evidence says, your teeth, there's no long-term impact from that. Um, and I mean, maybe they need braces, but yeah, no big deal. I, my and child is get, never not yeah. going to suck her thumb. Totally. I think and my kids just, need braces. Like yeah. it is what it is. But I'd rather than be good self soothers and get braces. Every don't care. Penny yes. in the world. And for also, a lot of kids get get orthodontics anyway, and they don't like their thumbs. So I know. I, I'm going to bite the bullet. We have a fund for orthodontics, and they're good self soothers. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I lo- well, what were you saying? You were talking. Oh, about I would love for you to actually comment, right. um, Doctor Dina Kulik. Tell me about psychological trauma because. The amount of moms who are worried, like about this three and a half hours of crying. Right. For me, I'm like, well, let's just stop because it's not working. Yes. Let's pause and restart. Right. Your child isn't ready. Yeah. I say that all I'm the like, time. I'm like, give it a couple weeks yes. and they'll probably learn how to self-soothe in the interim. Yes. I don't know why Jason couldn't self-soothe at the moment, but he did three weeks later and yes. it was easy and he's been really great since. For whatever reason, he wasn't mentally there yet. And, exactly. and we tried it at four months, right? Yeah. And then we tried it at like five months and he was ready. Yeah. So somewhere between four and six months, most kids are ready. Yeah. Um, some kids aren't, right? Mm-hmm. But that's a small percentage, truly. Like, mm-hmm. I recommend in my practice to um, start with sleep training, and, and I do recommend cried out. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about gradual methods, you mm-hmm. know, like like Ferber type thing where you mm-hmm. go in at three or five or 10 minutes or whatever. But I do tell families that I think that prolongs things. Statistically, it does, mm-hmm. it shows that it prolongs things. And I don't actually think that it's easier for parents because you're actually hearing your kid cry over and over and over again. I think it's a bit of a tease, to mm-hmm. be honest. But if that gives you more confidence, I mean, that's what sleep training is about yes. really it's about parents going in feeling confident yes. that they can train effectively or teach their kid to sleep effectively so whatever gives you confidence like that's cool like do yeah. whatever that is right scotch <laughs> scotch and making, making out with your, out husband, with your husband, husband on the floor of your kid screaming i can't tell you how weird that is. there is nothing less sexy to me than hearing my kid cry i don't know how you even did that it was we got into a lot of scotch it was a lot it was a, a drunken night there's nothing less sexy than that to me but um whatever 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 gets you off your boat yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no um, judgment. Yeah, no judgment. Zone. Whatever. It worked. It worked. Elisa's amazing sleeper. I feel like that yeah. was your replacement for a sleep consultant. Right. Where I'm texting with my clients all night while they get through the first night. You were just making out with your husband. We're like, But it worked. Good night, Elisa. <laughs> <laughs> She's like licking the mic right now. Whatever works. Whatever works. Yeah. So psychologically. So parents, moms especially, though sometimes some of the dads mm-hmm. are more sensitive to this. I, I sometimes have moms that are like super gung-ho mm-hmm. and their partners are like super... So against mm-hmm. it and really not comfortable with it. But usually it's the moms that have more difficulty, especially I find the breastfeeding moms who mm-hmm. tend to have a different kind of feeling around it because they're so used to nursing at night and mm-hmm. it's more physically involved than just, you know, patting their back or whatever. Um, and it's usually more hours spent with the baby at nighttime. Um, and it's usually them versus their partner that's going in at nighttime yeah. as well to give the, the bottle. Um, anyway, psychologically, 
the the stats show there's absolutely like really nothing worrisome about crying it out. Mm-hmm. They're stressed for a night or two, like you mm-hmm. said. Whereas there's lots of evidence that waking up many times at night raises your cortisol level. So people yes. always quote me this like cortisol thing. You. you cry all night. You know, my kid is crying for three hours. Isn't it going to make their cortisol so high? They're so stressed out. Yeah, what is cortisol again? Oh so God. cortisol is your stress hormone. So when you're really stressed about yeah. whatever it is or mad or whatever, your cortisol goes up. It's like your or fight or flight adrenaline response. Your right? cortisol raises in the morning to wake you up. 100%. Like it's a normal everyone hormone. has it. Yeah, yeah it it's a normal hormone. Yeah. But what also raises your cortisol on a daily basis is is uh, having shitty sleep. Mm -hmm. So if you have these very fragmented sleep patterns, your cortisol is also chronically raised. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you'll have this big burst of cortisol for a night or two, Mm -hmm. and then it'll go away, and it won't be chronic ongoing every single day. Or you could have this chronic every single day, multiple times a night, having these short, crappy durations of sleep Mm -hmm. that raise your cortisol level and your stress hormones otherwise all the time. Mm -hmm. So I I talk about that. And I think that, you know, makes parents more reassured. Mm -hmm. It's like they think there's either no cortisol and they're great Mm -hmm. or there's lots of cortisol and it's bad. But there was a really good study a couple years ago in the biggest journal in pediatrics called Pediatrics that was a meta-analysis of many, many, many smaller and bigger studies on sleep. And it showed that overall kids, like I think 12 or 15 years later, we're actually better yeah, off I having been cried, like having had cried out and sleeping well. Academically, they did better. Socially, they performed better. They were better with relationships. Yeah. They were, you know, better in school, less ADHD, all sorts of positive attributes um, that it really wasn't anything damaging to them, but rather was positive in the yeah. whole kind of like, you know, life, yeah. the world of, of their child. And we'll link that. We'll link that. Sure. Yeah, yes. that's. I, I have a lot of resources as well that yeah. I can send you. But it really isn't damaging. But it is psychologically um, sometimes traumatic mm-hmm. for parents. Totally. I get that. I totally get that. I, I do. I, I live that. I I think that. So two things I want to say about that. Uh, one, I I actually want to in my practice and it's like on my bucket list, I want to actually start reframing what sleep training is because I think so much of the success or failure in sleep training is not about the baby at all. Like I actually think it's 100% about the parents. Yeah, it's a lot of behavioral stuff. And how ready they are. Yes. If I'm going into an in-home consultation, I can tell you in five minutes whether or not how that night's going to go. Right. And I haven't met the baby. It's like I tell people a lot of what I do is less like here's how to sleep train and more how are you feeling mm. and how can we get rid of this baggage that you're having and in your life. And I'm not a psychologist, but maybe we should talk to someone about why this crying. And by the way, crying for every mother is the worst, but why it is making you so, so, so like triggered or super emotional in that moment. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, this sucks. Like sleep training is the worst. Like we're talking about some deep seated stuff where parents start sabotaging their own success. Right, right. And so I really think that we could eliminate a lot of the crying. Um, babies cry less when their parents are totally into it. So like, and confident and confident. Yeah. I get a mom who calls me up and is like, Hey, uh, come over on this day. We want to sleep train this kid. I cannot wait. I'll see you there. I get there. We're high fiving babies in bed in five minutes. Right. And, and it's like, easy. it's nothing. And you know, those it's funny my- what you say that about like when, when I meet a new family for the first time and they walk in and they're like super chill and calm and whatever. Yeah. I'm like, this baby's going to be the best yeah. baby 
baby going to sleep well, yes. going to feed well. Mom's going to have no issues with breastfeeding. Yes. It's going to be like amazing. Whereas the parents that walk in, they're, they're like shoulders are at their ears and they're super stressed and they're yes. usually late and they're like running back and forth to the washroom and like four people are unchanging the baby. You know, this grandparents they're not on eating top, enough. whatever. They're, there's like all this stuff and all these people, yes. whatever. I know the baby's likely yes. going to have colic. A hundred. There's, the, there's a lot. I mean, the 100%. environment you're in, the tension that you're yes. feeling, et cetera, yes. plays a part in your, you know, it's like nature versus nurture business, right? Yes. I mean, part of it is nature mm-hmm. as well, but part of it is nurture. When mm-hmm. you're super stressed around your baby, just like if you're super stressed around your partner, yes. you know, you feel that. You feel that anxiety. This is what I preach all the time. Like half of my job is this. Like, okay, how did you feel when you went to go do that check? Were you freaking out? They're going to freak out. Right. Because if you, all of our communication with our babies is nonverbal. Yeah. So we go in and we're like, you're okay, you're okay. <laughs> like it's it's not, I actually don't think the method, there's no good method. Like we were talking about earlier before we were recording, I actually think the method you should do is the method you feel good about. Yes. Because when you feel good about it, then your baby's going to rock it. I agree. Just the confidence makes a big totally. difference. Yeah. If you don't want to do something called cry it out, then you shouldn't do that. There's another method that you could do that makes you feel better, but your friend who does cry it out, they're probably going to rock it and they're going to be fine and that baby will be fine and there's nothing wrong with those parents. Right. So, and it yeah. may take longer, but whatever you feel comfortable with yes. or whatever. Yeah. You were saying something, we were talking about studies. Oh, cortisol. So yes. as a teacher, um, I worked in a K to 12 school, private school for a number of years. So, uh, and I have a, a young person. Um, I got, well, I think we all know that when we have a young child who's not sleeping, it actually shows up as hyperactivity. And I think when I tell parents... Or irritability. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ADHD symptoms. um, uh, Aggressiveness, violence, you know... Yes. Irritability, poor focus. There's a million things that happen when you're not sleeping well. And we know that ADHD children have poor sleeping habits usually. And now we're starting to look at, like I know that there are some doctors who send children for sleep studies before they're prescribing ADHD medication. Yeah, I often do. And I also get rid of screens. It's a whole other conversation. But kids that watch screens a lot, particularly more than two hours a day or within two hours of bedtime, have a more difficult time falling asleep because Mm -hmm. they're melatonin, another hormone that is released by your your brain to soothe you to sleep. Mm -hmm. That melatonin is decreased when you watch a screen. So a lot of kids, that have trouble falling asleep at night, um, even the babies or the young kids, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, have, do, do they watch any screens? Oh yeah, they watch You know, after dinner time before bed. Mm-hmm. Get rid of that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of kids suddenly sleep better and all the parents did was yes. get rid of the screen and yeah. switch that with something more you know, soothing like reading a book or doing yeah. a puzzle or yeah. whatever. Totally. Or even I see a lot of kids early rising, like toddlers and preschoolers early rising because their parents will give them an iPad in the morning. Right. Or they and get to watch cartoons or whatever first thing in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean... I. I hate an early morning and I'm not a morning person. I don't judge that. But if it's if your kid is getting up earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier, they're waking for that ding ding reward. They're getting box. something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of um I have a lot of friends whose kids crawl into bed with them in the morning yeah. and they're quote unquote sleeping. The parents are and the kids are turning on the TV, but that's their like time in the morning. Yeah. But nothing about that. Like, yeah. it interests me whatsoever. It works for a lot of families. Andrew's like showing me here. He's like, no, that time should be for sex. <laughs> um, get the kids out of there. Good for you. Oh, yeah. just wait till you listen to last week's podcast. <laughs> it's oh. really good. I'm, I can't wait. It's so, one, okay, it's so one of the reasons why then. I want kids out of bedrooms because I f- yeah. it takes away from sex life and that makes everyone unhappy. Totally. And that's no not good for the kid either. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say parents are doing those things, right? Let's yes. not talk into some yeah. quick tips with 
like Amanda Juice and Dr. Dean Cooley. So somebody is showing their kid TV in the morning, <laughs> me, and somebody is. <laughs> but has, it's not a problem for him, though. I mean, he does yeah. wake, he is getting up, as you're saying, and I'm like, he has been getting up five minutes earlier every right. day. Ever since Essa was born, it's like TV yeah. or screens is for sure. Right. But he's getting rewarded. He is getting That's rewarded. That's why he's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, I, Essa. I also want to preface all of this yes, for, the, for the people who are listening, who like hearing this topic or these conversations makes you want to pull your hair out. Yes, it does. It's not for you. Then don't sleep train. And I don't judge how you sleep. Mm-hmm. And I really do think that there are families who do well sharing the family bed. Yeah, and do that's what works what for you want. if you want yes. that and you're comfortable with that. Yes. And it's a decision that you make willingly mm-hmm. and thoughtfully do that. You yes. want to share a family bed? Go for that. I, I have plenty of families that multiple kids and both parents share a bed and they're all happy. Yeah. And somehow they're making more children. So they're yes. getting some kind of time by themselves. Agreed. And they're happy with that. I always say to families, like, is it working for you? Yes. So, you know, I ask at every visit from four months on, actually, even the, like one month old and two month olds, how is your kid sleeping? And we talk about what that looks like and and what that will look like on the next visit, et cetera, as, as Alana knows well. Um, and if they're not sleeping, I say, is it working for you? Like, is this comfortable for you? And if they go, no, this is terrible, then I launch into, well, yes. here's how we can make things better. Mm-hmm. And if they're like, yeah, it's fine for now, we move on, yeah. right? Like choose to sleep train or don't do what works for you. A hundred percent. I always tell people a problem is only a problem if it's a problem for you. Yes. Like if you call me and you're saying, I don't like that or like, well, it, does this sound okay? Are Mm. they sleeping enough? I'm like, how's it? How are you feeling? How are you doing? Well, I'm okay with it. Well, call me when you're pulling your hair out. But I feel like once they're calling you, there's a problem. They have an issue. I don't know that that's not always the case. I have, I have moms who have talked to their mom friend and their mom friend has been like, "Mm, your baby's only sleeping two hours a day. They should be sleeping four like mine. Or, you know, your baby shouldn't be night feeding three or four times, but there's a lot of reasons why babies could and should be night feeding right. three or four times. And sometimes you need to ask your doctor uh, and find I out if what redirect. they're doing is, yeah. yeah. I, I, I see a lot of kids that just saw a sleep consultant or sleep doula or whatever, yeah. and they were told, you know, make sure with your doctor that the kid's yes. waiting is good. Like, maybe you shouldn't be getting rid of night feeds, yes. etc. So, you know, there's there's a medical piece to this too. If your kid's gaining weight well, 100%. Um, you know, there's other things too actually we should talk about, like, what about the baby with reflux? What mm-hmm. about the baby that has, you know, other kind of developmental issues? Maybe they can't actually sleep at night. Yeah. Like, what do you do with those? Kids with teething, kids with fevers. So I, for any sort of development, I I deal with, you know, regular everyday sleep stuff. If it feels bigger than me, I, I will probably redirect to a healthcare professional that right. knows more. I am not a medical doctor. I am a trained educator who trained to be a sleep consultant, and I know a lot about sleep. Right. So if it ever feels like I'm making a call that feels medical in any way, I don't do it. And I send it to a doctor. I don't want that on my hands mostly. Um, So for special cases, I redirect. Um, In some instances, I've asked the doctor to email me that things are cool before I get started. Um, So that I'll do that. Um, Reflux is often... So I know that you know this. Reflux is real, okay? Yes. It is a real thing. Um, my first daughter didn't have a smidge of any symptom of reflux. My second daughter came out puking and right. like still has a gag reflex from hell. Sorry, I just tapped the mic. Um, but I do think that every little burp, fart, um, spit up, um, 
it's really easy for your friend to be like, mm, maybe that's reflux. And they're like, is it reflux? I don't know. My baby spits up all the time. Or like, I think they're not sleeping because of gas is probably the number two thing I hear about yes. why their baby isn't sleeping. So I feel like not that re reflux isn't for every baby, for every mom that comes to me and says her baby has reflux. I will say that if you are constantly feeding your baby to sleep and you don't want to be, um, a lot of the reflux... I'm listening, by the way. And that says also a spitty-uppity baby, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, she... A lot, like if you stuffed my belly full of milk and laid me down, I would puke. On your back. Yeah, yeah. I would puke. Yes. And I would feel like I had heartburn and it would come up my throat. Like I'm, that's me, Amanda, 35. So if we do that to our baby's tiny belly and then we put them down and they spit up, it's not an issue. It's just real life. Right. So a lot of what we do or a lot of what I do with my clients is I'm going to move and rearrange when the baby is feeding to A, when they're probably a little more awake and feeding more efficiently. Um, and we'll try to focus a couple of feedings instead of one you know, feed to sleep where they're probably not getting everything they, they need to because they're falling asleep. We do feedings after they wake. And then we might do a little top up, but with a big space of at least 30 minutes. There, I can't tell you, I get so many clients be like, I want you to focus on this reflux. I'm like, I will. And then I never hear reflux again. Right, right. So as soon as you move that feeding. Sage, continue. <laughs> <laughs> tell me more, wisdom. <laughs> Um, I, I think, uh, once you move those feedings, a lot of good things happen. Right. So, also, also as I say to families too, that, um, separating out feeding from sleeping is yeah. beneficial because yes. the way that you fall asleep is how you want to wake up. Yes. So if you fall asleep on the breast or on the bottle and you wake up and the breast in the bottle is not there, oh, like then that. you're like, where's the breast of the bottle? Like I need yeah. milk, right? If you fall asleep awake, um, uh, like from awake from like a, you know, post book or post song, but awake yeah. and not sucking on something yeah. and you wake up, you're not relying on that to settle totally. step back down. So it separates out that sleep association. That's negative. Uh -huh. The thing with reflux is many, many, many babies puke up or spit mm -hmm. up or whatever. And it's usually only a problem if it's progressive and projectile every feed. Mm -hmm. That's a concern for us. If there's mm -hmm. like a blockage or something yeah. or if there's a lot of pain associated with it. Yeah. I've Googled the many, shit out of that, by the way. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it says. Yeah. So, well, thank you. And you're also my doctor and you told me I have that. a little bit of education. <laughs> You this. already, you yeah. already texted me and said not to worry. Yes. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Alana's texted me recently a couple of times, like, as a vo you know, projectile vomit like, again. Hey, how was and your day? As a peak day, she's like, it's not every feed. And I'm like, was it every feed? She's like, no. I'm like, you're fine. That's it. Like, that's like, all no, no. It's so much laundry. Is it? It's a laundry it's issue. Upsetting. Yeah, it's a laundry issue. It's unexpected. Right. And I'm always unprepared. Yeah, it's so annoying. The three and uns. It, and there's mm -hmm. like, you know, you know, vomit all over your shoulders all the time. Um, but it's only problem relief. Kids are uncomfortable by it. Spitting mm -hmm. up by itself doesn't mean they're in pain. But if they're arching back, if they're refusing. The bottle or the breast, or you know, they're really fussy when they're feeding right after. That's a different story. There's medicine for that. You know, we could deal with that. But the totally. spitting up, just the spitting up part of it, having a wet shoulder is not actually a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, separating out the feeding from sleeping is helpful. And there's also nothing saying you can't elevate your baby's mm -hmm. head when they're sleeping. So we do know that to prevent against sudden infant death or SIDS, kids should be on their back to sleep. Fine. That doesn't mean that they can't be elevated a bit. Mm -hmm. So to elevate the mattress with like a textbook or a phone book. It's like the best use ever for my pediatric emergency medicine textbook. Like, After I was done studying my exams, book, I was like, cool, like best. Yeah, they don't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. But my peds emerge textbook is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> put something that's like two or three inches underneath the head of your kid's bed or bassinet or whatever. And as long as um, they're still flat on their back, it can be really helpful. That gravity will keep mm-hmm. the milk in the stomach better. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I should also mention that by four to six months, even kids that had pretty decent reflux are usually much, much better yes. because the muscles that hold the milk in the stomach are stronger and tighter. They're more upright during the day, et cetera. And so yeah. reflux tends to be less of an issue once you're even getting into the ages of, self, of, uh, of uh, sleep training. I, I feel like every baby has reflux. Yeah, every I baby spits up, every, period. Every, every baby. baby does. Some do more than other kids. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would not have believed that until I started doing this work, mm. but every baby has it. Yes. Um, Mine didn't. My first didn't. But I, yeah, I think that um, if your baby is, yeah, you've hit it. Like I really think that all of those issues happen before I'd be willing to do any sleep training work with them anyway. Right. So it should usually have gone away. And if it hasn't, I usually ask, is this being controlled? Like, do you feel like this is under control? Have you spoken to your doctor about it? Let's do a visit. Like I had a baby with very bad reflux and that was the client that I had email me. Like, I'm like, I just want to make sure this is cool. What do you do? What do you do with teething? Because this is another one parents like really stress about and teething is like two years of life. Yeah, it is. So I think that um, good sleepers are... We're talking about teething, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Good sleepers are better teethers, in my experience. So if you are, um, you know... In not sleeping, for example, if you're overtired and you have any sort of pain or discomfort, you're going to feel that more than if you're rested. Um, so I think I'm not saying sleep cures all, but you know, if you like my, my daughter was waking up, um, she got her molars like, I don't know, six months ago and it was a nightmare. She's waking up a lot. The only thing that you can really do. Wait, when does that happen? Oh, the molars? Oh, molars. like you, you're coming up for I'm it so with flat. the I can already yeah. feel it's coming. Okay. Yeah. You mean the second row molars? Y- yeah, like around two, oh. whatever happens around I never around found two. my kids had a big issue. With, yeah, it's between two and three is the second row molars. The first molars can come in at like six months or a year and a half or two years. Like it's super variable. Yeah. Uh, you know, Austin's 15 months. He has six teeth only. And like he's constantly teething. Yes. But the teeth haven't come out yet. Yeah. I My first daughter was a lot like that as well. She, um, she egg, like was such a long teether. Um, yeah, teething. So teething is like a huge one. I feel like people are always stumped by teething. How do I train when my kid's teething? How do I let them cry? Should I give them medicine? Don't give them medicine? What do I do with that? And we're like in that right now with my own 50-month-old. So I think that um, I will say that better babies who are good sleepers are generally better teethers because mm-hmm. they don't feel their discomfort as much. I also think that... Uh, babies who aren't sleeping on their own yet, parents will come up with a lot of excuses as right. to why. Yeah. So it, it, it's like, well, I think it's teething. No, it's illness. No, I think it's teething again. I think it's, I'm pretty sure gas. they're teething. I'm like, it's, it's always gas. gas. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, or they're just, they don't know how to fall asleep at night. Right. So usually a lot of those things will get better. If it really is truly teething, the only thing that you can do is offer Tylenol Advil. Advil's better. It lasts a little bit longer. Totally. Um, I'm a big advocate for Advil when it's safe and when it's it's uh, age, age appropriate to do so. Um, and at the right dose. I think a lot of people don't give the oh, right yeah. dose. So a lot it's, of people um, underdose yeah. because they think that they're, it doesn't 
it doesn't so help under, your baby so, a little so bit. There's a dichotomy. Either Advil or Tylenol, ibuprofen or acetaminophen. They either work or they don't. So mm-hmm. you can't work a little bit. Yes. There's a dichotomy there. So yes. if you're underdosing your child, it is not going to help them with their pain. Yeah. Um, the appropriate dose for ibuprofen, that's um, Motrin or Advil, is 10 milligrams per kilo per oh, dose up to every six hours. So ask your doctor what your kid weighs, mm-hmm. multiply that by 10, that's in kilos, and that's how much you can give. Mm-hmm. And you just look on the bottle and you see how many milligrams equals how many mils. That's a very standard thing on various bottles. Yeah. Um, and and use that. And I agree, ibuprofen is better. Ibuprofen is good pain reliever, but also it's anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. The pain of teething is from inflammation under the gums. Mm-hmm. So ibuprofen works well. God, I just... Honestly, you say everything I say. So it's very Yay. affirming right now. Good. That when friends love each other. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> like Dr. Gina Kulik <laughs> like, is basically saying what well, you I'm are saying. Exactly you say? everything I've said Perfect. and read. And so I you're legit. Like, okay, I'm and I'm legit. legit. You're legit. I mean, it's great. That's great. Um, yeah. I mean, that's all you can do. I read this great blog once when I was um, with my first before I was sleep consulting. And it was like, the the top tricks for teething at night. And then you open the blog and it was like drugs. Thank you. And yes. I was like, yeah, cause that is all you can yeah. do. I wish things like these other, like over the counter homeopathic products. Were. Though, Camilla. I don't think it does. Anything. I don't think it does. Anything. So I, I tried Camilla with two to my kids and I'm sure it did nothing, but some families nothing. tell me that it was magic for I their know, kids. So I, I don't know. It hasn't been magic for any of my kids. I'm just saying as a mom, I'm telling you right now, like I'm still like, know that drugs is a solution. Yes. With my toddler. I'm like, full steam ahead. I'm going to gas this pedal yeah. full metal to like how much drugs can I pump into my But it kid. makes people feel uncomfortable. With my infant, I'm telling you right now, I'm like, oh, I don't want to put anything in her precious right. mouth. Yeah. Meanwhile, so you're all about anxiety. the gas drops. I know, well, because I'm like, shut the fuck up, we have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> don't fuck with my podcast, little girl. They <laughs> also don't do anything, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's probably psychosomatic, but anyways, yeah. I'm just telling you as a new mom with yes. an infant, I do have some anxiety about drugs yeah. still. And I remember the first time I had to give my kid drug, I'm like, we're a drug-free family. I don't put drugs in my baby's mouth. And I'm like, and then you got tired. Yeah. yeah. How many have I gone through? Yeah. And then you go get the Costco size <laughs> bottle <laughs> and you're like, we're going to need this. It's yeah. cold and blue Absolutely. I, I don't love giving my kids drugs. And, and you know, Austin, unfortunately is teething, but also this chronic fever kind of kid. And I feel guilty every time I give him a dose. I really don't like it. It makes mm-hmm. me feel uncomfortable in lots of ways, mm-hmm. but it works. And mm-hmm. I don't want it to be uncomfortable. Totally. The thing with teething, it's a guess. You know, if your yeah. kid's fussy for like the first two years of life, it might be teething. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But if it makes him feel better, then like, that's great. I wish totally. there was like a way to know, but yeah. there's not. Yeah. There's not. Well, and it goes back to what we were, we were kind of talking about this earlier that um, you choose to drug them or not, right? So if you don't, they're going to wake a lot. Yeah. So just be prepared to wake them a lot and you like if you don't want to sleep train them again you can't help them to sleep every time you help them to sleep they're going to wake up wanting that in a few days right so or you do want to do that like there's no middle unicorn solution where everyone gets everything that they want and there's no I guess consequence of that right Right, right. so just I guess that's the only solution it you can't help them and drug them or you do help them and you retrain them right the hard part I find is there's no like 12 hour ibuprofen Mm -hmm. like that doesn't exist so you know like Austin had a fever at two I keep Mm -hmm. looking at the monitor here because I'm like that means he's gonna be 
Advil free at like eight or nine PM, which is where we are right now. Yeah. So I keep waiting for him to wake up and I will go give him medicine again. And yeah. then sixty eight hours later, he's probably gonna cry yeah. again with another fever. So I wish there was like one way that like before bed I can give it to him at seven PM and be good till seven AM. Can I tell you that what I do? Work. Yeah. This is I share hope, your wisdom. I hope this yes. is not the part where you're like, No, that is horrific. Right. I can't believe you do that. <laughs> um, I am not in alignment with you. Okay, so um, I will give my kids when they're teething badly or they have a horrible fever or something, they go to bed at seven. I will give them Tylenol. Yes. At 11 o'clock when I know the Tylenol has worn off because it's a four to six hour drug, yeah. I will then do a dream feed of Advil. Yeah, yeah. So I don't wake them up and that gets them another eight hours from right. 11. So we've done that many times. Okay, good. Uh, with my other kids, that worked really, really well, actually. Many times. Uh, many times with <laughs> other three children. The baby, however... Uh, I sneak in and he wakes yeah, up, right? And then it's over. Okay. Though Andrew, we've really tried that with with Austin, the like dream ibuprofen. But maybe we should try that again. Um, yeah, it's worked well for a lot of my clients, and yes. I always say this is not doctor advice. This is Amanda Juson, mom. There's something wrong with know, it. I know. It's totally medically sound. I it's think totally it's totally. Now you can send them to episode two yeah, and yeah. quote <laughs> Doctor Dina. There, there's no issue with that. There's yeah, no I, with that. I. Why think not? It doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me why it would be a problem. It's not a problem. Yeah. You're not waiting. You don't have to wait for him to be uncomfortable or have fever. I agree. You just preempt it. You're prophylactically ibuprofen. I think them. that there are people and clients who are uncomfortable drugging their kids when they don't think that they're in pain potentially, which I get. Right. So but if again, you thought it, they were in pain before bed and you gave them Tylenol, right. why suddenly would they no yeah. longer have pain in the middle of the night when you're the most tired and they need the most sleep, truly, because <laughs> right. yeah. they're unwell. So yeah. they need the most sleep now. I'm with, Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's what we do in the juice in house. Yes. I so like in the it. juice in house, I have a question. We very topical. We are looking at the beginning of holiday season. I'm about to get on a plane. Let's talk about travel and sleep. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Let's I'm actually thinking, doing Susan? a thing about this because it's so popular. Um, so travel and sleep. Again, this is going to go back to the psychology of sleep training. If you go into your vacation being like, oh my God, are they going to sleep? They'll never sleep again. This is the worst baby. Am I going to sleep? Where are they going to sleep? It's just, you're just going to, if you are obsessing already about their sleep, then you need to take like three days to meditate somewhere. (laughs) And I'm not, I see this. I am not, I I have a therapist. (laughs) I go see a therapist. I'm not making fun of these issues. I can joke about them because I am them and I've had them. Okay. So I say this and I'm not being judgy mom. I just know what has worked for me to get over my S right. So I think if you are going into your vacation and you are so pent up with anxiety and stress, you are not going to enjoy your vacation. Agreed. Give me your a portion of your thousands of dollars and let me help you <laughs> so you can enjoy your vacation. Right. So part of it, I get, I'm not speaking directly to you, but to people in general would be to cool out about your vacation. There's probably going to be a night or two where your kid will not sleep well. You can't avoid that because you're in a new location. Nobody can promise you that. Again, it comes back to choices. You either stick with your plan and know that you might have a night where you're they're fussing more than usual. You won't have to sleep train again in the new location. They're just going to be mad. You're going to do your checks, do whatever you're doing, and they'll be on track. Provided you're not a wreck about it, provided you're not obsessed and freaking out, oh my God, are they napping? Are they not? What are they doing? You're just going to chill out. If you do that, you're going to enjoy 
an awesome vacation. And try to keep to the same routine if you yes. can. So try to sleep in the same kind of way. Yes. Like, it might be a pack and play versus the crib, but it's also, it's not your bed. Yes. Unless you want to do that. If you want to do the vacation, that's cool, but just yeah. know you'll have to retrain them when you get back totally. into their other, you know, exactly. have it a dark room, bring your noise machine if they like a noise mm-hmm. machine. If they go to bed at seven, keep seven. Don't switch yeah. it to nine o'clock because you want to go for a late dinner knowing that they're then going to be overtired. Try to keep the same routine and it'll be easy. But yeah, the first night usually sucks. And yeah. um, even, you know, when we travel, that always stresses me out. Yeah. By night two, they're good again. Exactly. And then know when you come back, you're probably going to have to be doing a little bit of, totally. you know, recalibrating. Call that the yeah. vacation tax. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you go, you have your your routines. I mean, you can nap on the go. Bring your stroller with you. Put the baby down. Um bring a, a good if you have to room share um you can buy these like 3m hooks mm-hmm. and put them on the ceiling and then put a little um shower curtain on the 3m hooks and that, that's super easy to pack it's packable you can like leave it there if you want to i'm all about putting um, kids in walk-in closets or washrooms yeah so when we travel yeah. we always make sure we have a second washroom like there's like a washroom for everybody yes. and there's another washroom yes. and i make sure it fits a pack and play or like our travel baby born tr- travel crib yeah um and the kid goes in a washroom yes. and like whatever it's pitch black it's perfect 100%. actually the the reason why i knew that austin who was then four months was ready to sleep train because we went away to mexico i'm sh- i thought for sure he'd you know be in my bed and he would never ever sleep um but we put him in the washroom and he actually slept through the night for the first time ever and i was like <laughs> and we're ready to sleep train Yay! it was the best and, and we got, got back and he wasn't okay to sleep train <laughs> but i was very hopeful for it um he slept better it was pitch black and yeah. it was for some reason the right temperature and he was in this little cozy cave you said this earlier about putting our expectations no elena you said this i think putting our expectations on our children for what they're capable of right i really think that if we go into our vacation saying they're probably not going to sleep this will be all bad for them it might be but your kids are going to be worn out they're on vacation they're outside they're playing 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 it's actually probably going to be great but you are not 20 anymore you cannot go and hang out at the the bar at 10 and you can't have a late dinner or you can but your kids are going to be shitty the next day yeah and that's just or like bring a family member or yeah. like hire someone hire to watch your kid at night or whatever totally do something so that you do get that time if you need that time yeah you can't like i get a lot of people sort of asking me for the the unicorn scenario how do i go out when we're going to have really late dinners and i'm not going to put my baby to bed and we're never going to nap i'm like well that's going to be a really shitty vacation yes no one's going to be happy with that i can't give you any advice other than then I'm really sorry. Yeah. Actually, I actually have a question around that about the unicorn. So people ask me all the time, how do I have a really good sleeper in their crib at nighttime, mm-hmm. but the flexibility to travel with my kid to do errands and go see friends or whatever during the daytime. And me personally, I find you either have a flexible sleeper mm-hmm. who like will sleep on the go in car seats, whatever. Like we're not talking SSH, we're talking like a four month old or a six month old or a nine month old. You either have kids that will fall asleep easily in the car seat or mm-hmm. the, or the stroller and they typically don't sleep well that, that well at home mm-hmm. in their cribs or at nighttime. Or you've really good sleep trained kids um, at home in their cribs, but they're not as flexible. We have the latter. My kids mm-hmm. will sleep amazing in their cribs. We'll have great naps in their cribs. When we travel, they're fine. Mm-hmm. But none of our kids have ever been okay with sleeping on the go. Mm-hmm. The car seat or any otherwise. If we're like driving a long drive to like, mm-hmm. my parents used to live in Ottawa, we'd like drive to Ottawa. We'd leave at like 7 p.m. at bedtime thinking yes. somebody will fall asleep. Yeah, Nobody would be asleep. It'd be like <laughs> 11 p.m. and the kids are all completely wide awake. Right. We get there and they're in a crib and they're down. Yeah. They're perfect. But we don't have 
flexible sleepers. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Is there a way to have that unicorn where you have both? It's tough. I think the only way to really do it is to start young and keep practicing. Like both of my kids are pretty flexible sleepers because we are very social people. So from day one, we would go out with uh, Winnie, my oldest, and you know we would put her down at her friend's house. At her bedtime, she would sleep there. We'd have our dinner party. We'd leave at 10. She'd right. come But you're putting her down, transfer. though. I'm talking yes. about just kids that will like, fall asleep on the go because you're like going grocery shopping, and they fall asleep oh, in the car I see what you mean. I think that... Uh, yeah, that we can't control. And I know that those kids exist. Um, that just sucks. Um, you could just keep practicing, trying to insist. You could put like a little black shade or cover. There are kids who aren't going to sleep on the go. It sucks. Uh, when that happens, there's really not much you can do other than you skip your nap on your vacation or you go back to the room. We just plan stuff around the nap time, to be honest. Like we're also very social, but we'll have like you know, a brunch date, knowing that one of the kids yeah. has to go down or we'll do in between or, you know, once the kid drops, the, really it's the morning nap that sucks. The yeah. afternoon oh, nap, yeah. you could plan around that, right? Like, yeah. do your social stuff in the morning, do your social stuff after they wake up, that's easy. It's the two nap or the three nap, that's annoying. Yeah, like that when you're sucks. like, you have these like bitty hours in between that you have when to deal with. When they're little, it's so hard too because they're napping so much. So yeah, it feels... five naps a day is really fucking yeah. so annoying. Yeah, yeah. 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 it is. But well, when you get down to the one nap, you're like, holy shit, we can oh. do stuff in the morning and yeah, in the afternoon. Yeah, so many hours. So and and you have like two or three hours a day where you can like, like do your own stuff. Chill. Yeah. yeah. Elias is a good napper on the weekends. He always yeah. gives us three, three and a half hours right, every beautiful. Saturday it's and Sunday. So and I'm good. just like, that's the best time yeah. of my life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, our kids go down at like one thirty two or something and sleep till five. And like all of them, like they're all quiet. And, and this is when I get stuff done. Seven? They go back to bed at seven. Wow. That's amazing. That's really yeah. unbelievable. That yeah. could not happen in my house. Why? My, my, well, my for a number of reasons, <laughs> if we want to get into my stuff, <laughs> my daughter is a high sleep needs child. Always yeah. has been my first daughter. My second daughter is not. What does that mean? She needs a lot of sleep. Okay. So like on the high end, she's always been a three hour napper. She slept 12 hours early. Like she has always been that way. And she's in kindergarten this year and is kicking her ass. Like What about, what about napping right after she gets home? So she will. And that's, that's okay. She'll nap for about 30 to 40 minutes. Literally she naps for 47 minutes. She's like, I'm never sleeping again. <laughs> I will never go down. So it has to be, it's very like nuanced thing. Right. Uh, she's and, Goldilocks. Oh, and when she, she missed perfect amount she really does um yes she's very particular in lots of ways uh but when she like today she didn't have a nap um she is like a a rabid human being Mm -hmm. like just so not functional kids are assholes when they don't get enough sleep oh like our kids come home from school and even though they're in grade three grade one and jk yeah the rule is they come home they can have a snack and then they go to their rooms and no one should hear them until like five o'clock so from 3 30 to 5 they're in the rooms by themselves the other ones don't sleep they'll like read a book or do homework or whatever but the four-year-old he's almost four he's three now um he naps he legit naps and he falls asleep for a good hour hour and a half Gets up, we have dinner, he plays, and he goes back down at seven. He's usually asleep within 15 minutes. Amazing. He's like the best sleeper in the entire world. But this yeah. is my kid that cried three and a half hours straight. Yeah. So, like, you can go from like being a really shitty, annoying sleeper yeah. to being like the best sleeper ever. Like, and he's not I don't think anyone damaged. He's not damaged. <laughs> no, he's actually very, very sweet. He's, he's my favorite. Um, <laughs> Dina, he's, uh, he's they're the going to hear this, by the way. And, and he knows he's my favorite. I like Jason. Actually, he's, he's, not, he's not a jerk about it. Like, he knows he's my favorite, but he's not like, yeah, he's, he's cool. He's like, about I it. just hold this close. Yes. Yeah. I don't need to Greg, you all know. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't need that. We'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm good. I have a question. Austin though. is not my favorite right now. <laughs> yeah. Asa, please, we're talking. 
Um, okay, I have a question for you. Two questions before we're going to wrap, I think. Can you tell us about some teenagehood, like, like let's say teenage and tween sleeping? What does mm-hmm. that sleep like? And toddlers. Let's come back to toddlers because that's another big one. Yeah. yeah. Okay, when so... When you drop the nap, when nap's no longer an issue. What are so we let's at? talk about toddlers first. Yeah. Um, toddlers can be challenging because that dropping the nap can be a long, drawn-out transition. Um, I think it's it can be very normal for a child to nap even up to the age of seven, um, for them to biologically need a nap. Uh, so when they lose it, it can be really challenging. I think toddler sleep is less about like sleep training and more about parental boundaries yeah, and, and control and, and control Kids and wanting them control. Know. Yeah. Wanting yeah. is the main word. So many parents feel bad about giving their child a consequence. When I tell my clients, okay, we have to implement a consequence. They think I mean like hitting them or, or some sort of trauma. I'm like, no, we just take their stuffy away for one minute and right. then we give it back after like, that's the consequence. Right. But when our children, when we set a boundary and our children go past it, what they're doing is not saying, I don't care about your boundary. They're saying, I need you to continue to define these for me. Yeah. Because if if you don't define it, they will. And that won't feel good to them or right to them. For you to be a, a parent who's like, you know what? We're cool and flexible. That doesn't feel good to a child. Kids want boundaries. Yes. They want to know. They want to know that they're safe in this like made situation for them yes. uh, where parents get to decide what's right and what's wrong, et cetera. Yes. And that doesn't mean you need to be a jerk of a parent. Yes. It just means that there can be some flexibility. I always say to families, you like giving them some choices about things that don't matter. So yeah. let them pick if they want broccoli or cauliflower or yeah. these socks or these socks or this underwear or brush your teeth with this toothpaste or that toothpaste. They want control. They want choices, but they shouldn't be allowed to make choices about things that they shouldn't be allowed yes. to make choices about. Yes. Eating properly, sleeping properly, totally. how much screen time, etc. Yeah. should be your choice, yeah. not their choice. When I say, like, there's two things that I tell parents that seems to ring well for them. One is you wouldn't feel bad about taking away a chainsaw from your child, no. but this is just as bad for them if they don't sleep. So you have to set that boundary. I don't think anyone's going to agree with you on that. <laughs> what? The chainsaw versus poor sleeping. No, well, I, I agree. I hear I get what your you're point, saying. Though. <laughs> but I mean, parents wouldn't have no question about saying, put that down. Yeah. But when it comes to sleep, they're like, I don't know, just come see me. Right. Um, the other thing is that if you ever thought, think back to your childhood and an adult um, removed a boundary where they normally wouldn't. So if you kept asking your parents, can I go out? Can I go out? And they said, yes, finally, that never felt good. I it, call that the yes, yes, yes. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. Yeah. Scenario. So you're like, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. No, do that. Oh, screw it. Do whatever. Because yeah. it's just easier. Yeah. And then kids are like, well, no means nothing. I'm yeah. just going to keep on pushing the boundary and getting what I want out of it. Totally. And it, it means making hard choices and that can be, that can be challenging. So really toddler sleep is really a lot about boundaries. It's about parenting. It's about, um, really staying consistent, um, and not throwing them because <laughs> they can it's be a, challenging. Yeah. I totally agree with your consistency, consistent, consistency yeah. and predictability. Yeah. Kids should know if they do X, the result is Y yeah. for this caregiver, this caregiver, the grandparent, the nanny, yeah. everyone that cares for them. Yeah. What th- this, this behavior should lead to that consequence, no matter who's taking care of them. Mm-hmm. If they leave their room repeatedly, 
mom or dad or anybody else should be bringing them back to the room totally. or they have a temper tantrum in their room and they come leave whatever you should lock them in the room and everyone should do that whatever it is that you're yeah. doing that consequence should be should be similar right and yeah avoid the no 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 okay fine scenario because yeah. kids will learn to manipulate you oh god they're so smart and that's their yeah. job to figure that out to right. figure you out so that's they're developmentally not appropriate totally yeah. they are not jerks they are doing their job that's what they're supposed to do it means that they're smart and intelligent and figuring life out yeah. trying to learn to push boundaries because that's life yeah but you should be able to rein that in because that's your job and i think that parents think when we implement a consequence it sounds like get your room you do it doesn't have to sound like that at all it means okay you're back to your room actually the less you talk the better Mm. you shouldn't really like they're not getting a lot of what we say so act more and talk less right for sure one day when we talk about like temper tantrums and behavioral stuff i'm all about what i call active ignorance so i think we often like yell and do and say and I'm much more about turning your back and walking away mm-hmm. actively kind of passive aggressively saying I'm not going to give you attention for this bad behavior mm-hmm. but rather when you're ready to talk to me in a reasonable way as mm-hmm. opposed to your temper tantrum or hitting me or biting or whatever mm-hmm. then I'll give you the attention that you need so mm-hmm. when kids have temper tantrums I literally say to them when you're ready to talk mm-hmm. I'm ready to talk and I turn my back and I walk away I'm not going to give you attention when you're being an asshole but when yeah. you come to me and say mommy I'm ready to talk then I'm going to give you tons of attention yeah. Yeah. Because you just did exactly what I wanted you to do. Yes. You know, we yeah. have moments where you like want to scream into a pillow or smack a wall or yeah. go for a run and like get that out. Yeah. Kids should have that opportunity too. Totally. But I'm not going to give you attention for it. Yes. I don't want to tell you that what you're doing is an effective form of communication. Yes. And ta- uh, yeah, I mean, like, there's so much to say about this. I, I, I always tell people that. It's not about whether your child has the ability to sleep as a toddler. It's whether or not you can provide the environment for them consistently. Mm. And if you can't, then they're never going to do that. And if the boundary, like, they are so smart. If the boundary is even a smidge off, they will trample all over it. Like, my daughter's big thing is door closing levels. So if the door is wide open, she's happy. I like to do a half close. And if it's like a little more closed than open, she'd be like, mommy, I would like that open a little bit. And if it's open wide, the like wide, she'd be like, why, why is it open wide? <laughs> and, and like, there are little things like, can you She's open got like a it compass a in there? Oh. And what's a compass? What's it called? The thing? I, uh, protractor. protractor. I, protractor. I bet you Winnie would. Yes. She would be the kid to do right. it. Actually, speaking of like boundaries. So when, before we started, mm-hmm. you were getting a text from a client who was having issues with their kid making oh, yeah. themselves puke. Yeah. So I see this a lot where kids are taking it up a notch, taking it up a notch, mm-hmm. kids that freak out, kids that yell mommy, daddy, kids that jump out of their crib. Yeah. And then there's the pukers. Oh, and the headbangers are another yes. group. Yeah. Kids that like take it up and take it up and take it up. Yeah. And then they realize what gets their parents' attention. Yeah. So, you know, if I, you know, once I freaked out enough, I vomited, my parents ran in to come see me. Now I realize if I freak myself out enough or I put my finger down my throat, Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen videos of kids that look at the monitor, like smirk at the monitor, and then put their finger down their throat to make themselves puke. Wow. Those brilliant jerks. Yeah. And parents run because they're like, oh my God, yeah. they're vomiting. A, it's yeah. disgusting. And B, yeah. they're always worried their kid's going to choke on it. Yeah. So yeah, so tell me about those kids. What do you do? I think a lot of the time it's about um, exactly what you said. We got to keep her cool. We got to act like it's a no big deal thing. If your child vomits, you clean them quietly and put them back to bed. And right. that's it. And actually I've sell, I've told some families to not even go in and clean them because usually, I mean, and I always recommend having a video monitor so yeah. you know exactly what's happening with yeah. your crazy children. Yeah. We even have a monitor in all my kids' rooms. My yes. eight-year-old has a monitor in his room and so far he doesn't seem to care so much. One day I'm sure he'll be like, I'm good. I have yeah. my private space, but so far he's okay with it. Um, 
I, you know, oftentimes kids will kind of puke. They'll puke like over the kids that make themselves puke. Mm -hmm. They might puke like over the crib. They're not even in their crib Mm. or they puke in the corner and they could very easily, these are kids that are like older, they can go the other side and like sleep. It'll smell, it'll be gross. But I find that the more you go in, the more it's, it's again, it's the no, 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 yes. You know, it's, it's reinforcing you got my attention. Totally. I want to not give you attention for this terrible behavior. Yeah. And same with the headbanging. Yes. Yeah. Headbanging, parents are really concerned about, but that usually stops because it's self-monitoring. They're never yeah. going to hit themselves hard yes. enough to do anything bad. Yeah. I've seen bruises. I've seen goose yeah. eggs on foreheads. I've never seen a kid actually get hurt, yeah. but parents always wear they're going to concuss uh, themselves or they're going to pass out or I mean, I, whatever. I hate it. I had a client last year who was a bad hang- headbanger and she sent me a picture and I was like, don't don't show anyone that because yeah. like <laughs> I am not condoning that. But like yes. this is not what I love about yeah. this. But yeah, toddlers they are so smart. Like, how yeah. do I get mommy and daddy in my room? I will do whatever it takes. Yeah, and I would do that again and again if it yeah. gets their attention. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard for me to tell parents like, look, you gotta just ignore them. But it will stop the more that we continue to go to them, the longer it takes. Right. And that's sort of like helping our kids to sleep. Like sometimes they'll be like, you can't go in there. And they're like, well, I just went in for five minutes. I'm like, but they're still crying a lot. So that's not helping. So you have to, sometimes it's like less is more. Right. My son's new thing is, he knows that we want him to eat dinner like well. So (laughs) when he wants us to like keep him up or he's trying to prolong the, he'll be like, pasta? Oh, dinner time? No, sweetie. We already ate dinner. Oh, pasta time. More milk? Like, whatever it is. He's like, he's like, you know, with us, I'm going to make you happy with this. It's like, I'm pasta? Pasta time? What's with the accent? Why does it sound like that? He says pasta. Pasta. Okay, I have one more question about toddlers. Let's talk about bed transition. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm in the same, I'm exact same. Don't do it. Yeah. So, but when when do you do it? When kids are jumping. (laughs) When I know. kids are jumping, know when they mean, won't stay there, it's, yeah. it's the only time of that. that yeah, I get rid of really, beds. there is absolutely no reason other than it's really like I'm saying this from experience again. No judgment because I was this parent when my daughter climbed out of her crib for the first time. I was like, it's bedtime. Like I couldn't wait. I had this vision of her in her bed. It's it was pretty so rude. cute, yeah. and like she has a little blanket, and she was excited. And then for literally six months. I had a walking, talking alarm clock in my room. Um, again, like save your money, keep them in their crib until they they are asking to leave. And honestly, by the time no two and a half year old is saying, "Can I leave my crib?" They don't know that they can. Um, a lot of parents will say, I, "I swear, it's there's something about eighteen months." There's a significant regression at eighteen months. I should developmental milestone, not regression. Um, But but it leads to a sleep regression. It often leads to a lot of kids having more difficulty, waking up more at night, et cetera. And parents are like, no, it's a sign they don't want to be in their crib anymore. I'm like, did they tell you that? It's also teething. also teething (laughs) or gas. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's always a sign that we need to get them out. I'm like, no, we need to put them back in. Half of what I do in my sleep consultancy for two-year-olds is put them back in the crib and help parents keep them in their crib until they're absolutely ready to get out. And then when we leave, I'm like, 
this is what we do when we get them out. Yeah. Um, but I would say minimum, minimum three if you have to. I would love to see four. Four is like me too. My kids were all in the crib. Like so, the, even my four. He turns four next week. He's yeah. still in the crib. Loves it. Yes. And he's like a thousand stuffies, and he's in yes. this little little corner of the crib, and he looks like a little baby in there, and he can get out. He climbs out, climbs in. Like there's yeah. no issue at all. He yeah. like can fully get out and in. Yeah. But it's cozy for him, and it's yeah. safe, and I know where he is. Yes. Um, but if he was jumping and falling and yes. going downstairs and being dangerous and like Ryan, our now six year old, would go and like play in the bathroom. Like yes. oh look, the toilet looks fun <clears throat> to put things into. He was like dangerous, and so we yeah. like sort of like locking him in his room because it was yeah. unsafe. Right. Um. And yeah, he would take his clothes off and take his diaper off. Like he was curious and crazy yes. and weird. Yeah. We had a lot of challenges with him that mm-hmm. way, but we kept him in the crib for a very 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 long time. Yeah. Yeah. And until it's four, not, until more than four. Totally. I think it's, it's completely appropriate to wait. Um, it, you know, don't get swept up in, you know, the vision of your child in, in their bed. Cause the irony is that they probably won't be in their bed. Yeah, they will be in the your time. bed. Yeah. Also yeah. a lot of people I find get rid, get their toddler out of the crib to give the crib yeah. to a baby. I think spend like 80 bucks, go totally. to Ikea, I know. buy a cheap crib. I don't want two cribs, yeah, guys. Right. Tell me what get, I want to hear. Get, no, I'm just kidding. A, a pack play. No, get a pack just play or whatever. Pack yeah, play yeah totally. Five. Yeah, okay. honestly, there's yeah. not my... Okay, so funny story. A bar one. Um, yeah. We... Our girls room share because we live in a smaller home and our girls room share forever uh, at two... I want to say just after Nora turned two, she was enamored with her sister and she would get up at f- like basically as soon as she knew that she was awake. So 5 a.m. and be like, Winnie, what doing? What do? And Winnie would be like, I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping. And we, it was like a month, two months of this. And finally one day I just took the pack and play and I put it in her office. So at night, Nora's been sleeping in her office and it, it it's worked. And I'm going to try again when Nora's three, but it, it needed to happen. And you're so happy in her pack and play. Right. Like people would be like, oh, I feel like they're a little uncomfortable. It's like they don't, right. they're, I don't know. Kids around the world sleep in all sorts of places. They sleep on floors. Yeah. They sleep in like on couches. Yeah. They sleep on mats. Like people learn to sleep in different places. There's nothing totally. wrong with a pack and play. It's pretty luxurious for many people. Yeah. Actually. yeah. A pack and play is actually just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Because even if she's sleeping in her pack and play now, when you go to travel, that's her bed, which is awesome. I tell clients when they're traveling to take their bedding with them, don't wash it, let them sleep in it, and then just bring it to wherever you're going. Hmm. So so it smells like home. Also, I'm all about loveys. Are you into loveys? Yeah, I am. As you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics doesn't recommend a lovey in the crib before the age of 10 months. But if you're comfortable with it and their head control is fine, um, then I think it's a I know a huge blanket. We're not using like, yes. anything really big, like little things, like little heads or whatever. Yeah. But I find it can be really comforting as like yes. a way to get away from you. So what we've always done is like I spray it with some breast milk. I sleep with yeah. it for a few nights myself. It makes me makes them smell like me. Or you can do like a, a, a little, t-shirt like a t-shirt or yeah. whatever um though t-shirts are bigger like i actually like the idea of a lovey because it's smaller up a, t-shirt a little something. piece yeah. of something when my kids were really little i put breast pads in in the crib with them okay. um which is super gross like <laughs> really really gross but they smelled like me and it was like mommy's still here though yeah. i'm not really sure it helped with austin i think it actually made him more mad because i think he was like yeah where where's the milk yeah. where's the breast he was really confused by it my other kids did fine with it but, right yeah but it's like an extension of you. It's like totally. mommy's there. You can also do a t-shirt pillow with older kids who are 
are transitioning to from co-sleeping to their crib right. um, and they're old enough, you can make a little pillow cover from a t-shirt that you sleep in or sleep with. And usually that's really comforting. Right. And they may not even know that it's mummy smell, but yeah. they do. Like they, our yeah. brains know that. I think that they know. Yeah. yeah so totally. can we touch on just on teen sleep for a minute or tween yeah, sleep? For sure. Well, I taught teens forever. And so I see... That's actually something I'm very interested in. Um, it's not what I'm qualified to talk about, but uh, just anecdotally, as a teacher, uh, teens are so overscheduled and so they're doing everything. They um, they go to school all day. They get home. They do every sport, every extracurricular, um, and they watch TV. And then top that off with their circadian rhythm being completely out of line with the rest of humanity, basically. So they don't have melatonin production until about maybe 10 or 11 if they're lucky. And they're watching screens or doing homework on screens. And, and so they actually don't start to feel tired legitimately until maybe 11 or 12. If you're lucky, this starts as early as 13. So we have these kids and then we say, okay, get up at five or six. Like if you're busing to school or have to move at all, it's such a, such a disadvantage for teens. Um, I say offer a uh, a sleep in on the weekend up to two hours maximum, hmm. um, and then you got to cut it off at two hours. We don't want them to be oversleeping on the weekend to make sure. But those two days of getting you know four hours of additional sleep can really help pay back some of that sleep debt um, and get them feeling on track. But and I know some schools have moved towards like a later start time, yeah. and I think that's so great. Like oh. you know when my kids are in, in in high school or whatever, I hope they like pick their like sleep in time or whatever like their first if they're going to have um, a spare yeah do it first thing in the morning so you can yes. sleep in a little bit longer yes um, but also i don't think people should be allowing their teens to be staying up till midnight or one o'clock a big piece of this and i'll come keep coming back to this is screens right yeah. kids have even young kids sometimes have tvs in their rooms and then the damn phones like yeah. a lot of young kids have phones or eye watches yes. or whatever and they're screening 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 texting with their friends or you know snapchatting or whatever they're doing instagramming and it's keeping them awake it's their social quote-unquote experience um, but it's not face-to-face social experience and it's keeping them up longer and longer they don't want to turn it off because all their friends are snapchatting they don't want to feel left out of it there's all that social pressure then they don't get enough sleep and then they're jerks in the morning and they and academically could suffer and you know all this stuff that happens from that so um you know try to get screens out of the room totally a lot of parents will say like when I was teaching, they'd be like, well, they need a laptop. And it's like, but you are the parent and you can take that out of their room. You can have, they can have their laptop, but they can have it in the kitchen. Right. I mean, um, let, let you kid have their screen. That's cool. Yeah. But then maybe everyone should like drop it in the kitchen before bedtime yes. or like have a plug-in station. You could only plug it in here Yeah, or, you know, however you want to make it work. But, um, I, I really feel that people have too much access to screens too late at night and it messes with their melatonin It messes mm-hmm. with the number of hours of sleep they get. And then they're jerks. My kids are never like, my husband was asking me like, well, when do you think our kids will get cell phones? I'm like, I, I don't even know that they ever will. I don't ever like, <laughs> I think I, they will one day. <laughs> I don't know. How old's your oldest? Four. Oh, I know. Like they're really, really young. I mean, our eldest is eight and I'm so not even close to that. No. Like not even a little bit. Some of their friends have phones. Some of their friends have like, um, Apple watches and things like that. I am so far from that. Like yes. I'm, I'm years off from that. Like I think high school, I think, 
Like I, I think know, that's unrealistic. But I teach middle. I taught middle school forever. That is an unstable brain. <laughs> oh, I agree with you. That is not all. I of, totally agree like, with you. I've seen good kids write horrible things on text who yeah. are like. I don't even know. I don't even remember writing that. Right. And I believe them. Yeah. And I feel like I just don't want to give an opera. I mean, this is very personal. I don't judge anyone who does it, but having dealt with the amount of behavior stuff that I dealt with on the school side of it, right. I feel like my kid is just going to be a nerd for a while and that's okay. And then maybe when her amygdala chills out a little, <laughs> I will, she will have the phone. Yeah. Um, I mean, I text horrible things to my husband when I'm mad and I'm 35. Right. So I can't imagine. <laughs> my husband's pointing at me. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think it, I think it'd be, it'd be damaging. Yeah. yeah. I would love to actually Lana, to have someone on that's like a social media or like yeah. something expert and oh, I know a great person actually. Yeah. Um, but I think it's an interesting conversation to have. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. Cause I think it's a problem. And I think a lot of parents, they're so used to being on their devices yeah. that they're normalizing it for their children. And, and, yeah, at some point, my, we're normal. role modeling the worst. Like, <laughs> right. I'm totally addicted to my phone. So, right. my, my husband's addicted to his laptop. Yeah. And I know no, it's No, we're on our screens a lot. We're on our screens a lot. My phones are always with us, actually. Actually, if you, you could check out Andrew wrote an, uh, an article um, on drdina.ca about, like, basically, basically put, put, put your fucking phone down or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. You know, when we go to, like, um, play dates or to the park or whatever, kids are, on, or adults rather, are on, they're, they're like watching their kids play, but they're not actually. They're all sitting there in a row. And, like, a lot of nannies do this too. And they're yeah. all, everyone's so glued to their screen, but they're missing out on that, like, social experience with right. their kids, right? Yeah. yeah. I have, um, it's interesting because I'm on my phone a lot because it's such a part of my job is to be checking in with clients and clients messaging totally. me all day. Yeah. So it's something that I've, enacted my own like I don't have my phone between four and seven mm. ever when I'm with my kids That's it's locked awesome. upstairs and I shut it down at 10 and I don't like I wake up in the morning I make sure there's no fires I put my phone down and then I don't look at it again until I'm home at about 9 30. You're much better than me That's but I, 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 I check I check before I go to bed I wake up and the, like one of the first things I do is check my phone I'm on my phone for hours a day when I'm breastfeeding. I was not like that though I was I'm always on my phone but I will tell you having a job where people message you all day makes you need you need you breaks. Need Amanda just checked yeah. her phone. I way. just yeah. checked my phone. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling you because yeah, people we're message me all day. It's, it's yeah. a problem. And I also worry about like the social experience. Like we're so much, people are like so into socializing on mm-hmm. social media and on text and, and all these other services, but they're not actually socializing. Like there's yeah. no actual person in front of you. Yeah. I worry that kids are going to lose the ability to communicate you know, a lot of kids are like not going out and seeing their friends and like going to the mall and going to the park. They're like texting all day. Right. And there's really great evidence that's terrible for you. Yeah. Like kids are having increasing rates of depression and anxiety and like they feel like they're missing out on things when they're totally. not, whatever. Yeah. We should be more social. Uh-huh. Um, but no, we're addicted to our phones. And a lot of us rely on them for work, right? Yeah. And my EMRs on my phone, ironically, were doing a podcast right now people are going to be listening to on their on their phones yeah. like we're, you know, we need our phones for lots of things. Yeah. But, yeah, having some free phone time or phone free it's time. Hard. It's very useful. Well, man, it, I remember like as a kid growing up, I spent my whole life sleeping on chairs in restaurants, you know? <laughs> my parents just Schlepping. slept us everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And there was no sleep training and my yeah. parents think this whole thing is bananas. Yeah. And not to like, you know, there's got to be something to be said though, right? Like we have sleep doulas and we have yeah. breastfeeding consultants mm-hmm. and we have pediatricians who like, build great clinics with places for kids to sleep. And we're, it's at 2018. What an amazing time to raise We also kids, live in right? Toronto though. Like we live right. in, in an area where there is abundance of every everything. service for everything. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Lots of people to pay to do all sorts of stuff for you. Right. This is not the norm across Canada. 
I'm sure it's not, but I'm saying in, in a lot of civilizations that are like metropolitan, sure. there's a lot of people where you can outsource a lot of things. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, I'm not necessarily about um, like urban living, but about 2018 versus like 1984 or, you know, where, where were we, right? So what has happened yeah. to us oh, as the good, bad, question. and ugly, you know, yeah. in terms of like what was and what has become. Ugh, there was no I, sleep there was no sleep training. I so. love this because I actually think that like what did our parents do, you know? I think our parents had the self-confidence that we're lacking in parenting. And I it goes back to this like I can tell if you're going to have success in five minutes with, before meeting you. I think our parent, no one told our parents that sleep training was wrong, first of all. So we all were like thrown into a crib, most of yeah, us. My dad goes, no one's going to you know, sleep Ferber to death. No, Ferber was back in the day. Like yeah. Ferber was like, my father, goes, my, my father was literally goes, why do you go to her? She, or went, Elias, why do you She'll go to fine. him? Yeah. No one cried themselves to death. Yeah. You know? No. Yeah. And, and nobody yeah. had any thoughts. But it's not, I feel like when I talk to my parents about this, when I talk about my mom, she's like, I just don't understand. I just put you in the crib one day. But literally, Dr. Sears wrote a book. Yeah. And that was it. That was it. It was like. That, that being said, some parents were not like, my parents still are kind of pussies when it comes to sleep training. <laughs> um, one, I remember one day when Dylan was like little, I don't even remember months he was, maybe seven or eight months, we were retraining him because he you know, would be trained and he was sick and whatever it was. And so we were retraining him and they had come in from Ottawa where they lived at the time. And I remember them leaving like very early in the morning at like like four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning one day because they could not handle the fact that we were letting him cry it out. These are parents that when my younger brother was like 18 months, two years, whatever, they moved him down to the basement because he was waking us all up because he was crying all night. Right. So they were totally not into sleep training. Yeah. Still don't like the sound of my kid crying. They just texted me to say that my son is now crying, which I expected him would start to cry yeah. because it's making them uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, some parents are okay with it and some parents not, but you're yeah. right. Like Sears, Ferber, all these, all these guys, these gurus yeah. were coming out around that same time and yeah. yeah, giving confidence to parents to let them know that it was okay to let their kids well, cry. Dr. Sears is definitely super anti any. Like in his book, he literally says, beware of baby trainers. Right. <laughs> and so, I, I mean... And vaccines for that matter, actually. So there's a lot of weirdness oh, going on there as a pediatrician. 100%. Yeah. But I mean, I think the moment that we just took that confidence away from parents to feel like their decisions were the right ones, and that doesn't mean, like for your parents, I don't care if my kids sleep, I'm living my life and it's fine, but there wasn't someone to tell them, your kid needs to sleep 10 hours tonight and two hours during the day. Right. I really try, like what my business model and what my whole intention is, is to put the power back in your hands and make you feel like you're in control of your life around this. I just think there's so much vulnerability right now, right? It's such a vulnerable, it's like really the Mac truck of life, right? Yes. Remember when he he was like three months old or when you had your first baby, right? uh, Ryan, right? Oh, Dylan. Dylan. Dylan yeah. was the first. Like, people are so fucked. They don't, know. The, they don't know which way is up, right? No. And you are just completely, those those early days haze, that sets you up, right? That's yeah. the game changer mm, for you totally. is your identity, your sense of self. Yep. <clears throat> so and you're right, you're the most vulnerable. I totally agree That's with that it. word. Yeah. You're the most vulnerable when yeah. you're exhausted. Right. Like, no one, no one feels more terrible or lacking self-confidence than when you're exhausted. And I I'm, think that's I'm, true. I'm sorry. sorry. I, just, I was just going to say, like, yeah. what an amazing time we live in when, like, you're available for hiring. Yeah. You're my pediatrician, yeah. right? And I'm a mom who's like trying to make this community for like women to feel like you're not alone on this journey of right. fucking terribleness, right? Mm. Yeah. So I think it's a very, how lucky we are, right? Yeah. To just like be parenting in this time age. So mm. even though I pay homage to the generation of women who came before us who just sort of did it without thinking, yeah. they also didn't work out and they also yeah. drink, drink smoothies. And they also <laughs> like, you know, made 
food for their husbands on the table and fuck right. them and smoke cigarettes and do yes. terrible things also. <laughs> and may not have worked. Right. Like we all are. So it's interesting. Like exactly. And didn't necessarily have yeah. jobs. So yeah. it's interesting to see every generation sort of set. And it's my big thing. is like, what is the mark we're going to leave for our daughters mm-hmm. and our sons? Like mm-hmm. how are they going to be set up for sleeping or whatever the ta- challenges of, mm-hmm. of parenting for themselves. So, um, I think that's amazing. So, mm-hmm. um, Amanda, if someone mm-hmm. wants to find you, mm-hmm. where can they find you? They can find me, Help me Amanda. What at are they my gonna say? website, which is uh, www.babiesbestsleep.com. And that's B-A-B-Y-S, not I-E-S. That's okay. important. Um, you can find me at Babies Best Sleep on Instagram and Facebook. I'm also on Twitter for the five people left on it. <laughs> it's um, my biggest social media following. It's so sad. I love... <laughs> I wish it was not. I love scrolling, but I can't interact on it. I love Twitter. I'm on it all the time, but I'm not in it. I'm not in that world. Um, Yeah, you can also just Google Amanda Jusen and you will find me. Perfect. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks so much for Dina, joining us. What that was, was very useful. Today, Dina, I want to hear what you learned. Oh, I feel like you know all this Did you learn anything today? I felt empowered in my current knowledge. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm, So did I. Amanda, what did you learn today? I feel... I mean, I really pride myself. I don't want to tell someone something wrong. So before I tell you something, I've read a lot about it. And this it felt very validating. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. By the way, in this whole conversation, so I was waiting for Austin to wake up. He woke up. I don't know if you heard him on the audio. He just started crying. And you brought him Advil, put him back down, said, see you later, son. And I believe he's not crying anymore. He's crying still. Probably because he's a fever. <laughs> But Andrew still did leave him and he would probably settle in five or six minutes as opposed to having to do other things. And like, so we did, we brought the medicine, we're, we're doing the parenting thing, we're not being total jerks, but we're also allowing him to self-soothe, which is valuable. Uh-huh. Well, I learned a shit yeah, ton. Good. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank I'm you. I'm the everyday p- bourgeoisie uh, pedestrian <laughs> mom who doesn't know shit about anything. Yeah. I love the lay person. The lay person. I learn, I learn everything. I'm so glad. I'm falling asleep on my tit finally. Yay. Now she's falling asleep. Guys, she's eight weeks. On the boob. <laughs> the boob. But she's fuck two months you, old, so it's you. okay. You're cool. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. JK. Guys, thank you so much. And this was uh, episode two. Episode two. Of, Done. Uh, Dr. Dina Kulik, Atlanta Kafitz, coming to you live from Toronto. Uh, we hope you're having a great day, evening, afternoon, wherever you're at listening. Thank you, Amanda Juice and Baby's Best Sleep. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew Levy, for playing uh, uh, Julian? <laughs> Julian tonight. <laughs> um, Maybe you're the new Julian. You're the free Julian. <laughs> Thanks, but not everybody. so free because I feel like there's something that has to come. There's some kind of reciprocal <laughs> something. Jobs. Tomorrow He's morning we hear. Nose. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We hope you really enjoy the content. We are eager to chat with the most interesting people about topics you care about. Please connect with us on social media at Moms That Say, at Moms TO, and at Dr. Dina Kulik, and share your comments, requests, and to continue the conversation. If you want to hear more, click subscribe and rate us too. We're all about the feedback because this podcast is for you. Have a great rest of week. Until next time.